Welcome, everyone, to Episode 7 of Swift Unwrapped, a weekly podcast about the Swift programming language hosted by myself, J.P. Samard, and my co-host, Jesse Squires. That's me. And this week, we have a sponsor, Perfectly Soft, and their perfect assistant can help experienced developers work in Swift on the server. Uh, their perfect assistant includes a set of convenience tools to help senior developers as well as new, newer ones. It significantly simplifies the development process and allows for iterative deployments, not monolithic ones. It's faster, easier than working in, in perfect than working in the terminal. You can point and click and drag and drop. The perfect assistant enables pre-flight testing, which allows developers to catch errors before deployment. So if you're a full-stack developer and curious how perfect can handle uh, functions you're used to in PHP and Python and other languages, it's a perfect tool to try. They have uh, plenty of videos made by uh, members of the perfect community, and you can find those videos uh, at perfect.org. The perfect assistant, you can find details for at perfect.org slash en slash assistant. All right, Jesse, uh, we have a lot to talk about today. We want to cover access control and the entire saga that has been the transition from going from three access control modifiers to then four, then five, and now uh, basically today where the entire Swift community is just reconsidering the whole idea. Yeah, definitely. So uh, before we get into some of these details, let's actually take, let's look at a brief history of access control. Uh, So in the early days of Swift, the glory days pre 1.0, there actually were no access controls. Who needs those anyway? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no access controls are the best access controls, right? Uh, This was also before Swift Evolution existed. The, these were the, the beta releases of Swift, um, and sometime later in the Xcode 6 betas, uh, Swift finally added support for access control, uh, and it was actually it was an incredibly simple uh, model. Um, like JP said, there were only three access levels. Right, so the access levels, um, I'm pretty sure, were just private. Internal, which was the default if you emitted an access control modifier, it would just be internal by default. And then public, uh, if your code was just so good, you needed to share with everyone else. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so uh, it was an extremely simple model, and I thought uh, quite elegant, actually. Uh, one of the things that I liked about it, as opposed to other languages, is that it really enforced best practices regarding code organization. And so you had this access model that was essentially coupled to uh, like the physical structure of files and directories. So if you think of a module as just a directory, like how you would create a module in the Swift Package Manager, for example, then based on how you, uh, you know, physically organize your files, that determines where that access Right, how those files are accessible uh, in relation to each other as well as like clients of uh, the module. 
if you wanted to completely isolate a class、um, or another type, you could define that in its own file without any other definitions, and so then its members could be. That could have a more traditional notion of private, as opposed to、uh, this notion of private within the entire file, where other entities could could access those things. So I think, yeah. So that kind of covers the original model. Anything else to add? No, I think that's、uh, that's a good overview. Obviously, it doesn't really cover、um, kind of when you would want to use one over over the other, or how to architect like a large code base. Um, and and what that looks like, but basically,、uh, it was identified that there were a handful of things that this model didn't extend well to, right? And that's where、uh, our new friends, the next access control modifier keywords that we'll be discussing, come in. Right. So after this phase of Swift, after 1.0 was released,、um, then around. Swift two two point one or two point yeah two or two point one, Swift was open sourced and the Swift evolution process began. And after Swift two point two was released,、uh, which had the first、uh, like public community proposals in it,、uh, development for Swift three began and proposal SE twenty five was proposed. And reviewed and eventually accepted, and SE twenty five changed the meaning of private to restrict access from within the file to just within the current scope or declaration. And the former meaning of private was attributed to a new keyword called file private. And there is a ton of debate. A ton of controversy on the mailing lists about this change. There was a huge back and forth for、uh, multiple weeks. The proposal was revised、uh, at least once, maybe twice. And the the overall hypothesis about the change was that file private,、uh, the keyword would rarely be used and would thus abide by Swift's de- design philosophy of progressive disclosure. So the idea was that. Most developers could use "private" in its new restricted meaning, and never really have to think about "file private" except for exceptional cases. But the problem was that this lexical scoping was very literal. Meaning, if you define a private property in your class, you can no longer access it from an extension, even if that extension is in the same file. Yeah. So, Jesse, how is that a problem? Yeah, well, I think that caught a lot of developers by surprise.、Um, I think many people during the review of SD twenty five expected that if you declare a private property in a class, it would just automatically be available from the extension on that class,、uh, which is a reasonable assumption given you know that's how private works in many other languages, and it wasn't really. Clear or at least、um, widely discussed about like these implications of this pure lexical scoping of、uh, of that keyword, and so those changes landed. But、uh, Swift three was still in development, and then only about three months later, another proposal was introduced. Right, and this is what brings us to、uh, the open. 
proposal, which um, was basically prompted by um, a few members of the community, uh, especially Javi Soto, um, Javier Soto, who uh, basically brought up the fact that classes by default uh, can be overridden. Uh, classes as opposed to struct in, structs in Swift, um, just like their Objective-C counterparts, uh, can be overridden at runtime. And that this kind of inheritance-based architecture can sometimes lead to difficult to debug problems with application architectures. And so what, uh, what Javier was promoting here, what he was proposing, was to have classes sealed by default. And ultimately, this spawned a massive discussion uh, going in all sorts of directions and basically focusing on um, the problem that this was attempting to solve here, which is uh, being able to communicate that a class is either designed for um, subclassing and uh, potentially even, even overriding things at runtime, for example, parts of its implementation, um, versus classes that are not designed for that right out of the gate. Um, for example, if you're building a library and you absolutely require that um, one of the methods on one of your classes behaves in a certain way, and then someone overrides that um, in a subclass or uh, at runtime, and they're actually breaking one of those assumptions that your library requires, then that can wreck all sorts of havoc in, into an application because you're modifying things um, at runtime, breaking assumptions. And in, in some cases, that can be very difficult to debug and to reason about. So I, I hope I, I'm making it justice by, by the way I'm explaining it here. But eventually, the conversation, instead of having classes sealed by default, um, actually, that's exactly what happened. The classes are sealed by default. And now to have them uh, subclassable or overridable, uh, you need to be, you need to specify that they are open um, to outside consumers of your, of your module. Um, classes internally to a module can continue to be subclassed uh, because I guess the assumption there is that the maintainer of that library or of that module um, is aware of the implementation uh, of its own implementation. So they can uh, kind of do things uh, with that knowledge in mind, but it is kind of protecting the end users of a library. So all in all, what this ended up the, the end effect here in, in the context of this access control is basically having a more public than public keyword that we call open. Um, so you can't have you know an internal open declaration. You certainly can't have a, a private or file private open declaration. Open is really just public plus plus. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, so the issues that I had with this proposal were mainly that they changed the semantics of public uh, depending on the context. So if you have a public class and you're inside the module, you can subclass it and the semantics are what you would expect. But if you go to another module, let's say import module A inside of module B, and you want to access class A that's in module A, and let's say that class is public, you, you can still use it. It's still a public class, but you can no longer subclass it. Uh, it has to be declared as open in order for you to subclass. And after that, every function or property on that class, uh, if it's public, 
even though you can subclass, you can't override uh, those members uh, unless those members are also declared as open. So it, it's really, to me, just kind of a labyrinth of, of rules and edge cases there. And, and not to mention, you also have the final keyword, which prevents uh, subclassing and overriding of uh, methods. Uh, so if you declare something as final public, then it cannot be subclassed or overridden. And so now we have uh, multiple ways to kind of express the same thing, and it's not really clear uh, to me, like uh, even now, how open, public, and final interrelate and like really make sense in the big picture. Right. Well, they're not all compatible. Um, right. You know, so you basically end up requiring this matrix of compatibility between different keywords. Uh, you have access control keywords, and then you have uh, these. I guess, openness modifiers. I don't even know if there's a term that encompasses (laughs) open and final. They're part compiler directive, right? So uh, a a final keyword uh, and an open keyword can both hint the compiler as to whether or not they can perform certain optimizations based off of, is there any chance that uh, this module being imported by something else um, can change the implementation here? Or am I guaranteed to... Uh, say dispatch or invoke this specific function or um, or even class layout, and so you, you get this uh, this fairly difficult to reason about mix of uh, potential combinations of access control and um, openness control, uh, so to speak. Right, and so these two proposals together basically took the access control story in Swift from just these three levels, these three keywords. Uh, to five. And so almost doubling the amount of keywords you you need to uh, consider uh, when designing classes. Uh, I think the, the major shortcoming of both is that they modified the previous semantics of an access control level. So the private and file private change modified the meaning of the original private keyword uh, kind of conflating and overloading that term and then introducing this file private, which also has the name private in it, which is weird. And so it kind of overloads that term even more. And then open, you have this brand new keyword, which isn't really an overloaded term, but it altered the semantics of public in certain situations. Um, so a- again, kind of uh, just adding complexity to the meaning of public that didn't exist before. Yeah. Well, you bring up um, the the naming problem of having private and file private. So you end up having um, a, a set of names in your keywords that aren't all orthogonal. You have one that is actually a derivative of another, which means that right. sometimes you might want to refer to the set of private modifiers or sometimes you want to refer to the specific private modifier, and it can be extremely ambiguous if you say, use a private control mechanism. Well, do you mean private specifically or private or file private? Right. It's basically like getting back to the the MacBook naming dilemma, where you have a MacBook and a MacBook Pro, but when you say MacBook, are you talking about 
the low end one or the the whole line. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And it seems like Apple can't get away from from these naming problems. <laughs> yeah. And so the the final thing I want to mention about these two proposals is that uh, while they both introduce these issues of changing semantics of previous keywords, uh, the open proposal, I think it aligned better with Swift's progressive disclosure philosophy because most users of Swift, even most library authors, will never need to use open or consider open. The, you know, you'll only need to use open in advanced cases. Advanced users will will be able to use this for their specific situations. Uh, but this turned out not to be the case for file private, which we mentioned earlier, where now when you have a class and you have extensions, you automatically have to start using file private. And it becomes this everyday uh, occurrence for me personally. I rarely use private and everything has become file private. Um, and so it the file private change really violated the progressive disclosure uh, philosophy. And all of this has led us to what's happening currently, uh, which was a proposal uh, 159 to the title, uh, Fix Private Access Levels. Yeah, I love uh, how just upfront that is, you know, really um, clearly saying, like, no doubt about it, the access control set of mechanisms right now is broken and it needs to be fixed. And this is the solution. Um, so I just love the gall of, of that proposal. But um, in a nutshell, it's proposing basically a, a complete backpedaling of um, the introduction of file private. And um, there was a ton of discussion, uh, as I think uh, Jesse's made it clear, it's, it's a common theme around access control um, and just how people are very strongly opinionated. Um, sometimes those opinions are wrong. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share exactly where I fall on that spectrum um, because I, I think for the most part, uh, there's good arguments on on both sides, but, uh, the proposal was was basically proposing um, a complete backpedaling of uh, file private, where we would uh, bring back the the private keyword to to say that it was um, it was shared for that whole file, right? Right. Yeah. So basically, uh, a complete revert of SE twenty five, remove the file private keyword and restore the original meaning of. Of private, and this causes a big problem when you consider that uh, one of the big goals for Swift four is to reduce churn, uh, churn for people who are migrating their projects. Um, you know, a lot of people have basically sworn off Swift because they've said that well, the great migration from one to two, and then again from two to three, was so painful that uh, they lost so many engineering cycles to that that they couldn't actually focus on getting stuff done, getting things shipped. And so one of the big goals for Swift 4 is to avoid that. Um, And ultimately, um, regardless of whether or not, where you fall on that spectrum of whether or not file private, that introduction was a mistake, um, to revert that would be a massive change. 
uh, once again. And this is something that um, that the SWIFT core team just isn't comfortable with. And so this has led to uh, a new proposal that has recently come out as well, uh, which does not yet have a number. And uh, this is basically a refinement of this proposal and really a refinement of the current file private and private um, mechanisms where file private would remain exactly as it is today, but private would extend its scope a little bit so that it's not only valid within that single lexical scope where it's declared, but also to extensions both within that file and in other files as part of that module. So it's you can think of it as basically internal uh, to that type, not to the module. Actually, correction. I think it's still within the file. So you couldn't access uh, private from another file. On Interesting. That yeah. So I thought that one of the motivations for this uh, new revised proposal was that um, it would no longer uh, constrain your file structure and where you choose to put your code based off of the access control mechanism that you want to expose that for. Right. So it's it's very uh, confusing, <laughs> <laughs> basically. Um, right. So to, uh, to backtrack a little bit, 159 was rejected, and thus this new proposal... Um, Basically, Doug Gregor pitched this idea of, okay, there, it's too much churn to, um, to remove file private and revert the semantics of private to the original meaning. And so uh, that, that's too costly. Um, Swift 4 has a very strong goal uh, for source compatibility. And so such a change just doesn't comply with that. And the proposed compromise from the core team is what JP was mentioning here, where private becomes accessible within extensions, basically. And so it everything still has to be in the same file. So you couldn't access a private member, uh, a private member of a class. Uh, for example, from a different file, um, private members would be accessible from an extension within the same file from within the definition of the class uh, or the definition of, of anything. Yes, the definition of the type in the same file uh, or a nested type or extension of this type that also occurs in the same file. So what you end up with is this like partially lexical and partially type-based access control. I think in general, this aligns with the expectations, the original expectations of SC25. Again, the hypothesis was that file private would rarely be used, but in fact, that wasn't the case. Um, uh, namely due to uh, this this prominent design pattern uh, or this prominent way to organize your code in Swift via extensions on a class. And so when you have these private members and then you can't access them in an extension, it feels extremely broken. Um, and I don't think a lot of Swift users expected 
that lexical scoping to be so literal. So this expands it to be lexical in terms of it's still private within that file, but also private to that type. Right. Um, Would you happen to know if there's been any conversation around why uh, this would still constrain the visibility of this declaration to within the same file um, rather than uh, to that type within the module? So like even if you had, say, an extra Swift file for an additional extension on a type and then you still need to access those those members private to that type, um, it seems like that would also be useful and would kind of loosen up the requirements of how you structure your files based off of just how you want to expose things uh, via their access control mechanisms. Um, I mean, I can see that it, uh, anything that the the Swift compiler has to walk through the entirety of the source files that make up a module before it can determine if it can perform an optimization, all of that is costly and it has to do that right now with anything that's internal. Um, But uh, it's, it still seems like it would be valuable from an end user standpoint. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I haven't seen any discussion on the lists for, um, at least not that I can remember, uh, for implementing private in this way, uh, where you could access private members from another file. Uh, But that may be there. So so this is currently being discussed, um, and there's a ton of back and forth on on the mailing list. I mean, SE159 was super controversial. There was a ton of feedback, uh, positive, negative, and neutral. And for this this compromise, uh, there's been just as much uh, feedback and mixed opinions so far. Um, the, the main argument here about altering the meaning of private is that it gives you a sensible default and it puts file private uh, back to, it it will redefine file private such that it does become a rare occurrence in your code, which was the original intent. And so it more closely aligns with the progressive disclosure philosophy where we will basically revert back to only having to know public, internal, and private and then on these special cases, uh, we'll use file private, and other more advanced cases use open. Um, so, so that those are kind of the main uh, that that's the main reasoning behind. Right. I, I'd be very curious to see how this all plays out, uh, re- especially in considering that there are a number of um, design proposals that are floating around, nothing official yet, about modules and namespacing in Swift, uh, basically exposing a type of access control or at least a type of packaging, as in how you can expose certain members uh, as being part of sub-modules in a module. Um, So I'm, I'm curious how this plays with that, especially because there is some overlap here. Uh, there's overlap in... Um, how you choose to expose types and declarations at different levels, whether it's all the way down from private up to file private, internal, public, and open, um, to also having that mixed in with uh, whether or not you've imported 
or uh, declared a submodule. So, and part of me wonders if um, designing this in isolation, designing all of the access control mechanisms in isolation from the module discussion is actually, if it's harmful, if it's actively harmful to design things in isolation like this. And even if the designers are keeping in mind kind of potential future directions, the fact that um, that these proposals can be discussed, merged, implemented, uh, and then another proposal that is uh, constructive on that or related to it or affected by the first one is also kind of discussed, designed, implemented before any one, like, application in the wild can actually make use of it, um, if that kind of gets us to a point where we're not designing things with the sober reactions of the community um, before we can move on to the next thing, and if that's problematic. Like one counterexample that I see here for, for a different language is if you look at JavaScript, uh, there's this babel.js library that allows you to try out some of the implementations and features in the JavaScript language that are currently uh, under discussion and under design before they're actually out in the main compiler. And part of me wonders if a similar strategy might be beneficial to encourage uh, Swift developers to try some different things out in the language uh, whether that's, you know, with each Xcode beta, there's a flag that you can try things out. You know, right now we, we have uh, we have Swift tool chains where you can do this, but they're really not uh, prevalent enough or, or they're not as actively used as um, as this would, would make it out to be. So, you know, a, a few different ideas there. No, I, that brings up a lot of good points. Uh, I think especially with the tool chains, you know, those aren't widely used. It's not necessary the the easiest thing uh, to do although Xcode has made it much easier to uh, uh, to switch tool chains and to use the snapshots but I think the big blocker there is that obviously these are exper- experimental people have to ship so they can't really spend too much time uh, playing around with these things uh, maybe on a separate branch or something you could do that but then, uh, at the end of the day, you can't submit any apps to the App Store with snapshots. It has to be official releases. So that's uh, kind of another blocker. Uh, I, don't, I don't think many people, I'm sure there's a ton of Swift users that don't even know what snapshots are, right? Or where to get them or uh, how, how to switch them in Xcode. But your thoughts on developing things in isolation is also another great point. Uh, if we look back at these two proposals, 25 and 117, that introduced file private and open, obviously the proposal 25 was, um, you know, kind of in isolation and no one could use it until Swift 3 was announced. But looking back, uh, SE 117 uh, and the introduction of open was actually done completely in the dark as well. Uh, totally in isolation because at that point, even though we had already introduced file private, no one had used Swift 3 yet. No one had uh, experimented with the changes in access control. And just a few months later, we were already implementing another access level um, without any experience with the prior changes. 
And uh, I don't think it was very apparent at the time. Like only in hindsight can we realize like, oh, we were adding a fifth keyword without even experiencing the the fourth one that we had just added. Right. Um, and, and yeah, I definitely agree. Um, it, I, I will like clarify that obviously the, the Swift core team and, and the people who are designing this, they do their best to, to keep a holistic design philosophy in mind. And obviously there's some Swift that ends up being written with these things before they ship in Xcode releases. But um, there's a pretty big difference between, you know, having a small subset of the community, especially the ones that are keen on using cutting edge, like not yet officially released features and having say, you know, all like tens of thousands, if not more iOS developers actually try something out in like production applications. Um, there's a, there's a big gap there and the, um, the results and the, the feedback that you get from one is, is very different than the other. Uh, I mean, even people people who are relatively on the cutting edge, um, just to avoid churn, might end up just working with snapshots. Um, or they might end up uh, maybe using or trying their code out for maybe one or two different snapshot versions between... Um, between official Swift releases just to make sure that things are staying sane, but they might not necessarily opt in to the new features that are coming out. So um, it, it's it's a bit unfortunate because it, it means that it does draw out the process quite a bit more. Um, and especially, especially due to the fact that um, with Swift being so massively deployed now, it's extremely difficult to roll anything back. And so anything that goes in has to have a very high burden of, um, of value. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, these days that's definitely being applied and, and measured and considered for everything that's being proposed. Um, and I would even say it's a lot more thoroughly considered now than it was even a year ago. And for now sure. we're kind of, uh, we're paying the price for some of the things that <laughs> were produced about a year ago. And and there's no winning here, right? Like the Swift core team, if they had said no to a lot of these proposals that did originate from the community, then they would have been chastised for not uh, listening to the community for things that, that they want, right? Um, for sure. And these proposals would be coming up again, you know? They, they absolutely I mean. would. Um, so <laughs> there is no winning here. Yeah. Uh, and it's, of course, fun to uh, be be armchair um, critics for all of this, um, <laughs> right. especially criticizing it after the fact, but uh, it's it's where we are today. Yeah, and uh, kind of a final note on that, it's it really is hard to, um, to imagine these things when they're just on paper. Uh, I think we learned a lot by actually uh, experiencing these features once they were uh, available. And that's what really changed uh, a lot of opinions um, and feelings around uh, how access can the the current state of access control. So, having said that, we should probably wrap up. Um, I'll end with you know I think the core team's compromise is is probably the right thing to do. I think it's the least bad, although it is more complicated from a technical 
perspective, from the implementation perspective, having partly lexical and partly type-based access control. Um, I think the experience for the end user is is simplified um, in some ways uh, until you have to start thinking about the different edge cases and implications of all these different keywords. But I think at an introductory level and like beginner level, uh, I think it's much more approachable uh, with this compromise. Right. Um, and one more note about uh, modules potentially uh, affecting all of this. There's a work in progress draft proposal from Robert Whitman and Jaden Geller um, about how modules could be exposed. And uh, at the very bottom of the proposal, there's a section on source breaking changes, but it's really um, it's really more about uh, what are some of the keywords and constructs that we can replace with this. And uh, the very first item is that the file private access control keyword um, can be recreated by using a private utility submodule that contains all the declarations of at least internal access. And so, again, this goes back to kind of designing things holistically with, with other things in mind. So, uh, we definitely have not heard the last of uh, access control, yes. um, and this will continue to be the bane of the existence of Swift programmers and language designers for the rest of eternity. <laughs> all right, Jesse, uh, thanks for dropping all that insight in this episode. Um, that's it for today. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Jesse underscore Squires. And you can find me at at SimJP on Twitter. Uh, You can also follow uh, Swift Unwrapped on Twitter. It's Swift underscore Unwrapped. And once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Perfectly Soft. You can find their perfect assistant at perfect.org slash en slash assistant. See you next time.